this week and next week at pastor's request we're going to look at Paul's letter to Philemon and so I'd like to begin by reading the first seven verses of Philemon and then we will look at the remainder of the letter next week so if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Philemon I won't say chapter 1 because there's only one chapter but it follows Titus and comes before Hebrews in case you're wondering uh, which one is it it's not Philippians it's Philemon okay Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy our brother to Philemon our dear friend and fellow worker to Apphia our sister to Archippus our fellow soldier and to the church that meets in your home grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the Saints I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you brother have refreshed the hearts of the Saints we'll pause there for this week and then as I said next week we'll pick it up at verse 8 this is an interesting short letter and yet it even though it's short it summarizes exactly how we as Christians ought to behave in relation to the social situations that we may find ourselves in in fact it's been called the epistle of social action because Philemon was a wealthy man seemingly he had slaves one of his slaves ran away and possibly robbed him the, the scripture isn't a hundred percent clear on that and then he ended the slave ended up in Rome there he met Paul there he was converted to Christ and now Paul is sending him back to Philemon one of the normal results of slaves misbehaving in the days of the Roman Empire was they suffered the death penalty the master of the slave had the right to execute them if they behaved in such a way but Paul is sending Onesimus the runaway slave back and he is simply asking Philemon to receive him as a brother in Christ because now that's what he is he's not just a slave he's a brother in Christ and what a transformation the relationship would have from being master and slave to being brothers in Christ but here we have Paul beginning his letter and he begins it in such an interesting way it's the only strictly personal letter of Paul's in the scripture because the letters to uh, Timothy and Titus are uh, not exactly personal letters they are personal in one sense but they're to fellow ministers people who have worked with Paul people who Paul has ministered with and people who stand alongside of him <coughs> they're the people that 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 Paul is encouraging in their in their faith and ministry and giving them teaching that they will need for the benefit of the churches where they are ministering but this one is simply a, a personal letter addressed to uh, a dear brother and one who Paul seemingly has not even met because uh, he's from Colossae and Paul had never ministered in Colossae if Paul had met it was somewhere else uh, but we're not exactly sure where it could be this one epistle transcends all the wisdom of the world how do you how do you treat a runaway slave how do you act in these days Paul shows how he recommends that Philemon should act but he also shows us how he acts 
and his attitude towards a slave holder. He could have come in, uh, right there from the beginning and said, we don't believe in slavery, We're all men are created equal, God made every man, no man should hold another as a slave, and therefore if you don't repent of your slaveholding, then you're going to be in trouble. Well, in those days, if you were wealthy, your wealth was judged by the number of slaves that you had, and some of the poorer people even had you know, one or more slaves. Of course, when we come to the more modern times and we come into the 18th and 19th century, we have two different uh, groups who pretty much occupied the same type of situation. There were the uh, people who came from Africa, etc., who were considered slaves, but those who came from Europe in the same type of relationship and capacity were called for politeness indentured servants. Well when you look at what they had to do they were no different to slaves but Christians did not enslave other Christians especially their fellow Europeans and so they called them indentured servants. Well, this brother, uh, Philemon, he had slaves. We don't know how many he had, but we know he had at least one, and his, his slave had run away. And Paul writes to him. He doesn't write as an, imp as an apostle. Notice the way that he describes himself. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Everywhere else, it's his apostolic authority. He's an apostle by the will of God. He's an apostle because God called him. He's an apostle because God appointed him. He's an apostle because the Lord Jesus Christ revealed himself to him. Everywhere else, he's an apostle. But here, he's writing not as an apostle. Oh, he could have done. He said, I, I, I could write and command you to do what... I want you to do. But no, no, I'm writing to you as a prisoner, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I am a prisoner. And we know from Acts chapter 28 how that came about. At the end of Acts 28, we read that for two whole years in Rome, Paul stayed there in his own rented home and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. But he was there to face trial before Caesar. He was there because he had appealed to Caesar and before Caesar he was going to appear. He was there because the Jews wanted to put him to death. And he was one, uh, the only way he could escape the uh, pressure that they were putting on him was to appeal to Caesar. But it was all part of God's plan because God wanted him there so that he could preach the gospel in Rome also, which is what Paul had wanted to do for a long time, and he could evangelize. And we know uh, from Philippians that... Uh, the soldiers who were set to guard him and, and keep him safe from, and make sure he didn't run away, were in fact uh, from Caesar's own Praetorian guard, and many of them came to know the Lord Jesus Christ through Paul's witness. So Paul doesn't look on his being a prisoner as being a detriment, but rather an opportunity of a different kind of service. I remember many years ago, I, I served as a, a, alongside of being a pastor, I was a prison chaplain at uh, three maxi uh, or a maximum security prison, a general prison, and a minimum security prison. I had all three under my charge. And I was responsible for uh, going and visiting people and when I, one 
the very first man who invited me to be, to visit him, he uh, the, the reason he invited me was because he wanted to repent and become a believer in Christ and he wanted somebody to pray for him and so he wrote to me as the pastor of the Pentecostal church in the area and uh, said would you please come and and be a chaplain and so he made the application from the inside of the maximum security prison and I applied from the outside and we got together and we had a wonderful time. The very first thing he did was kneel by his bunk and accept Christ as his saviour. That was the one thing that he wanted to do. What an opportunity. And when, it, when time came for him to leave the prison, when the first time he was eligible for parole, he refused because he wanted to keep on witnessing in the prison to his fellow prisoners. He didn't want to leave the opportunity that he had of being my man on the inside uh, because whenever I would go he would work with me and we had several others came to Christ and they all exhibited the self-same attitude. We want to be, we're, we're not just prisoners because of the crimes we've committed, we're prisoners of Christ and here we can serve him powerfully, we can witness, we can do whatever is needed to be done in order to win our fellow prisoners for Christ. We started off with that one man at the maximum security prison. By the time I left uh, that area and moved to another area because of the, my, I was transferred as a pastor to another area, six years had elapsed and that one had grown to more than 60 believers. Men who were serving life sentences, the minimum uh, in that prison was 20 years, but they were serving, it was considered a life sentence, they were serving life sentences and they had come to know Christ. And many of them could have been paroled earlier, several could have already left and gone back to civilian life but they said no we want to serve God here they took their cue from Paul Paul was a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy would come and visit him and he is referred to there as the, the brother and also the um, there's just a, a powerful sense that here is a man associated with some of the uh, uh, the apostles used by the apostles and now he's appealing out to Philemon our dear friend and fellow worker we don't know that they had ever met or worked together because when we read in Colossians which is where Philemon was from there's no instance of Paul ever having gone there if they had met, it was perhaps in, in his travels, it was perhaps through one of Paul's uh, fellow workers that Philemon had come to know Christ, but they were effective uh, in their relationship and he becomes a dear friend and fellow worker. We don't know who Apphia was, it is assumed by a lot of commentators that it was probably Philemon's wife that she was probably the, uh, the one who he had married. Uh, it's, the, the name Philemon in itself is an interesting name because in the, uh, if, you, if, it's, if it was Philema with an A at the end instead of the mon at the end, that in Greek means a kiss. So, did his, his parents call him Philemon because he was a, a little baby who liked to kiss? Or did he acquire that name later because uh, Apphia uh, enjoyed their marital relationship and that's why he got the name? Or was he the one who greeted people when they came in? Because the traditional 
standard was greet one another with a holy kiss. And so was he the one who stood at the door and when people entered he gave them a kiss and welcomed them into the house of God? But it's an interesting little name. But not only is, does he address it to Abphia, the sister, but also Archippus, who was probably the son of Philemon and Abphia, and is described here as a fellow soldier. He's referred to in Colossians uh, uh, as a worker along with Paul. Maybe they, maybe he had got to know Paul. Maybe he had been for training to the, one of the other churches, may, or maybe at Laodicea or one of the other churches where Paul's. In Colossians 4 and verse 17, Paul says, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. That's Colossians 4.17. So we know that he was in some way the leader of the church there. Um, maybe the, the main speaker, maybe one who was very much involved in the ministry of the church there in Colossae. But he was one who God used and Paul acknowledged that he was a fellow soldier. It's interesting that Paul doesn't refer to him as, a, as a, a prisoner, doesn't refer to him as a worker, but as a soldier. A soldier was one who stood under discipline. A soldier is one who had authority, far more than just a simple worker. A worker could be a slave or a servant. But no, this man had some measure of authority Soldiers did have authority in those days. Whatever their, their uh, role was, whatever their rank was in the army, when it came to civilian life, the so every soldier had a measure of authority over civilians. If he told them to do something, they had to do it. I suppose a little bit like the police in our day. There's an authority that goes with the uniform, an authority that goes with the, the position, whether they're you know, just a, a, a deputy or they're all the way up to being a captain or a colonel or whatever ranks they may have. This uh, brother was a fellow soldier. He stood alongside of those who were serving the Lord and he worked as one under authority and yet one with authority to do certain things. And to the church that meets in your home, Paul says. So some have said, oh, maybe the home where the church met was Archippus's home. Well, in fact, the, wor the word your there is in the plural and so it refers to the home of Philemon, Apphia, and Archippus. That was their home. So even though Archippus had some measure of authority, yet he was still living at home, he was still part of the, of the home. Was he single? We don't know. But what we do know is that he was fulfilling the work that God had given him to do. He had a ministry. <clears throat> it was quite common for churches to meet in homes there. In fact, we can read many places in uh, Romans, for example, Paul writes to, in chapter 16, to the Priscilla and Aquila, uh, uh, in verse five, the church, greet the church that meets in their house. And as you go through, you see one after another who had uh, a, a home where the church was accustomed to meeting. In, in Colossians 4.15 there is the reference to the home where the main church in Colossae uh, met. 
greet the brothers at Laodicea or the is in Laodicea Nympha and the church in her house so that was the church in Laodicea that had a, a place and so it would seem as if the church in Colossae was meeting right there in the home of Philemon he was the one who not only was maybe the greeter uh, welcome people in but also was the one who had thrown open his home for the people of God to gather together it wasn't really until the uh, fourth century that separate church buildings were instituted oh yes some of the homes became uh, they started out as a home and the church met there and then uh, slowly but surely the church would take over the home we were in a situation uh, in Romania where that very thing had happened I, I went to visit a, a dear brother and he um, when I went to the house there was nobody there so I wondered maybe he was in the back doing uh, doing something and with that he uh, must have heard me call his name and he came round the back of the house and said oh uh, brother Hall come on um, come back here so I went back and I said oh I, uh, are you working back here he said no the, the, uh, I'm in here and so I went I went into the shed at the back and there was a bed and a table and a chair and I said what is this I, I said I, I thought the ha that was your house he said it is but the church started meeting there and we started with uh, just a few people in one of the rooms and then as the Lord brought new people in we expanded to a second room and then to a third room and the bedroom yeah, they took over and so all four rooms of the house now are belong to the church and they've torn down the walls inside and made it into a church building I preached there many times afterwards but this was my first time of going and so he said I had to move out and move into the shed because that was the only place that was left for me and he said in time they'll want, they'll want to take this over I'm sure uh, but he said not during my lifetime fortunately and I thought that's exactly how things happened in the New Testament in the Roman days they started out in maybe in one room or two rooms and then grew slowly until they the church occupied all the rooms and the owner of the house had to find somewhere else to live because there was nowhere else left and many of those those homes received as a name that was actually the name of the original owner of the house some of them they named after prominent Christians uh, maybe from that area or others that they knew but many of them were named after the original owner of the house and, and he would he or she were the ones who, who were giving a place for the church to meet and so the this is typical of the of that time people would gather together in a house and there they would worship the Lord and after a couple of hundred years they would the church would have the house and the house uh, maybe not even as long as a couple of hundred years and they started in uh, the third century they started actually building separate buildings for the church because it was there was no homes big enough to uh, allow a whole city a whole or even a town or even a village to occupy it as more and more people got uh, were converted so it became more and more apparent that they needed separate buildings and so following on the model of the synagogues they built actual churches but that doesn't come about for another 200 or 300 years and in some instances and in some countries it still hasn't come about God is working in power 
and God is moving in the community. Paul's greeting is grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That benediction and in, in Bible times the benediction was the statement of blessing. It didn't come at the end, it came at the beginning. When you entered a house you pronounced a benediction, a good saying over the house. May God bless all in this house. You didn't wait till the end, till you were finished and going. You did it when you first arrived. That was the custom in those days. In our day we've changed it around and we do it at the end uh, more than we do it at the beginning. But this, this was the custom and here is the benediction. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with your Bible, you'll say, I've read that same benediction somewhere else. Yes, in Romans, the first of Paul's letters that's uh, 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 collected here, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul writes to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the next letter along, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the only two places, two of the largest and most prominent churches he uses this same benediction and here to one man and his family who had opened their home up to be a church. Here Paul writes to him and uses the exact same benediction. He had a, a real view of this man and the work that he was doing. It wasn't based upon the numbers and the prominence of the city or the place, but was based upon the fact that we all need grace. Grace is the unsolicited and undeserved mercy of God. And that's the grace that brings us peace. And that comes from God the Father and comes through our Lord Jesus Christ to each one of us. This was Paul's benediction. And, and this probably, Philemon was probably one of the last of Paul's letters. Philippians may have been later than this, but this was years later. Years have passed and Paul still desires the same thing, the same blessing, the same presence. From the inscription, which is what we've just been looking at, we move on in verse 4 through 7 to his commendation. It's interesting, in every time Paul gives a benediction, whenever he writes, he finds something to commend either the church or the people that he's writing to, to commend them for. He looks for something that he can give thanks for. Even when he's going to write, as he does to Galatians, some rather strong terms to correct them because they've got muddled up and gone off at a strange angle, followed strange teaching. Yet, he begins with a commendation because this is Paul's way. He is very tactful. You know, if, if you want to get something done, you don't get it done by yelling commands. You get it done, first of all, by befriending the person, showing that you're standing on the same ground that they are, that you're not there with authority to tell them what to do, but you're there as a brother standing alongside of them working together. It's tactful, but it wasn't just tactful. Paul knew of this man, 
I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. It was the quality of his life that made the difference. The quality of his life was what stood out to Paul. It wasn't just that he prayed for them because he had a long prayer list and went through the prayer list and, well, I'm supposed to pray for all these churches. They're all in my area, so I pray for them. Lord, bless, 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 bless. That's how often we do things. We go through the list. But no, Paul says, I remember you. I remember you before God. I bring you before God because of what I've heard about you. I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. It's the quality of this brother's life that makes all the difference. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before God and our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul loved to look for something commendable in each person and each church that he was writing to and in contact with. In Ephesians, in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, there Paul has something uh, great to say about that church. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Yes, Paul looked for something to thank God for in each person and each church that he was in contact with. And if we do that, the first thing we're doing is making friends, emphasizing our relationship before the Lord Jesus. We're bringing ourselves together. We're not talking as the apostle speaking down to the congregation, but rather we're talking about brothers coming alongside of brothers, the family of God, speaking to one another, not from a superior position, but from a relationship. We stand together as brothers in Christ. I remember you. I hear about your faith. I know about your love for all the saints. This quality of life is so great because this brother, Philemon, he communicates his faith. He doesn't just keep it to himself. He is communicating it by acts of love. That's what the Lord Jesus said that we're to do. We're to show love towards one another. When Paul writes to the uh, Philippians in uh, chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. You know, love is only love when it's manifested. Not, not just when we write about it and say, brother, I love you in the Lord. No, it's when we do something about it. This man, Philemon, was noted 
for manifesting, for showing his love towards all the saints. That, was, that seems to stand out in a lot of instances throughout the scriptures, that this attitude of loving other people. Paul says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. It's not just enough to show it. You know, the, there's a saying attributed to Francis of Assisi that uh, wherever you go, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Well, it is necessary to use words. It's necessary to communicate your faith, not just, just to show love. I know there are many uh, benevolent societies active in our country today. There are those who are trying to minister to the poor and to help them and food. They're distributing such. That's, that is commendable. But true love doesn't just give but shares the reason for the giving and attributes it to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great Amen. if you're in a position to give, but it's even better if people know why you're giving. They can understand, they can experience. And you know, when, they <clears throat> when you communicate your faith, they are more likely to receive and respond to it. I remember when I was a student in college, I was working on the, uh, in a fish house, uh, filleting fish in the dock, uh, near the docks in Hull. And when they, they asked me, where, where are you a student? I was just there for the summer. I said, oh, I'm a student in Bible college. You're going to be a preacher? Yes, I'm going to be a preacher. Well, wh what are you going to say? And I shared a little bit about what I, I wanted to, what I would be preaching, and it was a good opportunity for preaching the gospel, but they were not responsive. Oh my, it was like a wall suddenly went up and, oh no, you're not getting us converted. We are not at all interested. Well then, one day I went to the break room and there was nobody there. I thought, well, where is everybody? And I it was the normal break time. We all had break at the same time. And I, I, I sat at, a, uh, at the table where I usually sat. And in came one of the people. He said, um, you're going to be a preacher. Yes. You're going to pray with people? Said, yes. Would you pray with me? My son, and he told me, a problem at home with his son. He said, w w would you pray with me for my son? I don't know anybody else, any other preacher. I don't know anyone else I can, I can talk to. And so we prayed together. And he got up and he left. I said, w you, where are you going? Break time isn't over. We get 15 minutes and this has only been about four minutes. He said, oh, there's some other people waiting. And then another one came in. And he said, um, I, got, I got a problem with my wife. Would you pray with me for my wife? And so I ended up praying with him. And then when I'd finished praying, a couple of minutes, out he goes, in comes another one. And one after another, the people who worked there came in for prayer because they'd heard what I'd said and they not only had listened, but they now thought, hey, we got our own tame preacher on the premises. We can, we can have him pray for anything and everything. And it was, was interesting that the, the next several days, several of those that I'd prayed for, when we all began a meeting together for break, as usual, they said, um, uh, th those of you who, who were here for, 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 to be prayed for by Ian, l l let me tell you what happened in my life and my experience. And they t 
told of miraculous answers to prayer that had taken place because A, they saw my character, B, they heard my word, C, they came for prayer, and now God answered prayer and ministered to them. And they were able to experience something for themselves. You see, sharing our, our faith is not just a matter of preaching. And it's not just a matter of doing good things. Those are all part of it. But pray for one another. Pray for, for people who we may not even know. We were in a, a store, Sears, wasn't it? We went into, and there was a lady at the, uh, at the cash out, and she was uh, uh, sitting in a wheelchair, actually doing the, the, the cash uh, out there. And she, I, I said, can I pray for you? And we, we prayed for her. And then next time I went in, she's standing and she said to several of the people around this is the man who prayed for me when I was in the wheelchair and the others would you pray for me too would you pray for me because when people see God answering prayer they say ah God is here God is able to do something and Yes, there was, there was some amazing meetings taking place in, in the town at that time. They, and um, I think that was how we came into the, the, uh, into the conversation. I asked this lady if she, was, if she had been to or had thought of going to hear this particular evangelist who was holding meetings and had e was even holding, meet, uh, used the, um, uh, the, uh, the airport, I think one of the rooms at the airport for some of the meetings. But she couldn't go, but God met with her anyway because God is faithful. We need to communicate our faith. We need to be available to those who are in need. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, not just passive, not just hoping that somebody will listen or have heard, but be active in sharing the faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And who's going to count up all the good things that we have in Christ? We have a whole lot more than we often realize and acknowledge. He forgives our sins. He heals our bodies. He renews our strength. Well, the psalmist says he renews our youth like an eagle's. Well, I'm waiting of that coming yet. I, I used to fly when I was in the Air Force. Well, no, I, the plane flew. I just sat in it. But it, you know, there are so many good things that we have in Christ Jesus. And those good things, we want to, we come to understand them better when we see the way that God works and intervenes in someone else's life. Sometimes we get the idea that we're the only one. We're the only ones who are getting any answers to prayer. We're the only ones who are experiencing anything of the power of God. We're the only ones, the only ones. And then God does something amazing. And we realize that God so loved the world. Everyone. The outsider. The person who naturally we would think differently of, abandon maybe even, turn away from, forget, say, <laughs> not him. Yes, God can do amazing things. It broadens and increases our understanding of what faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is. All the good things that we have in Christ are highlighted when we see God answering our prayers and meeting the needs of those around us. He says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement. Yes, it is a great encouragement 
when you see God answering prayer. I think one of the, some of the happiest moments in my life have been when God has done some amazing thing. I remember when God baptized me in the Holy Spirit. Oh boy, I was a, a pastor in a church that was not Pentecostal. I didn't believe in it. It was not for me. But the only evangelical church in the town where I was on vacation was a Pentecostal church and I went in there and the pastor asked me if I would uh, speak at a prayer meeting at his home the next night and I went and after I'd spoken he came up to me and he said are you baptized in the Holy Spirit and I, I knew what these Pentecostals taught I'd been in a Pentecostal church uh, when I was first converted uh, to Christ and so, yeah, I knew what it, what it was, and I, I said no. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit fell on me, and he said, well, you are now, because I was speaking in tongues, and I was so embarrassed. I said, I am not going to tell anybody in my church that I'm pastoring that I'm a tongues talker. I'll be kicked out. And so I kept it totally quiet got back from vacation, went to see one of the ladies of the church that I visited regularly. Her name was Miss Dawson. She was in a wheelchair and she, she had been there for 20 years, never been able to walk, never been able to get up or do anything for herself. And so I read the scriptures to her and uh, prayed with her. And then I put out my hand to shake hands with her before leaving. And she got a hold of my hand and stood up. What? I said, Miss Dawson, you're standing. And she said, I am. And I can walk. I can move. And God had miraculously healed her, not through prayer for healing, because I didn't, I didn't know God could do that or would do that kind of thing. I mean, I knew there were instances of miracles happening, but I didn't expect it there and then. And here's Miss Dawson, healed by the power of God. Oh my, my understanding of things changed drastically. In fact, it gave me such encouragement that I Yes, I rejoiced, and so did all the whole church. And I was encouraged immensely because I saw God doing something amazing. Just a few days later, I, was, I had to go to a mental asylum with a brother. I've already told that story, have I? About Calderstones? Oh, well, I won't tell you again then. But anyway... God has done amazing things. I saw God working in miracle after miracle after miracle because God is faithful. God hears and answers prayer. And God will encourage you and me. As we see answers to our prayers, see what God can do, we will be encouraged in our faith and in our walk with the Lord. And we will have great joy not because God chose to use us, but because God fulfilled his word and demonstrated his power and demonstrated that he can do all things and does do all things well. Because God has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brothers, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. It is the comfort of the kindness of this man, this Philemon, that blessed so many people, including Paul himself. God has called us to be his witnesses, and God has called us to be his servants, and we're prisoners of Christ Jesus. Yes, not in prison, but we are bound by his calling, his pressure upon us. Wherever we are, we can show our faith 
and let others see. But I wonder, looking at your life and mine, I'm not looking at your life, you look at your life, I look at my life. How could Paul address us? Could he address us in those same kind of terms? Could he address us in that same way that he wrote to this man Philemon? Could he write to us in similar terms? In Galatians 6.10, Paul says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Friend, God gives every one of us many opportunities to serve him, to be witnesses for him, to show our faith and by our actions. And this is exactly what Paul commended Philemon for. Would he commend you and me for that? That you take every opportunity that comes to show your faith in the Lord Jesus, your sincerity? Are others having a communication of faith that comes not just in deeds or words, but both together as we pray together and minister together? That's God's plan. That's God's intention. That's why God put you and me exactly where he put us, because he wanted to use us there. God, why have I got the neighbors that I have? Because God wants you to show your faith. God wants you to show love. God wants you to show them the kind of God you serve. Why are you working in the place that you are? because God wants to use you there. He's put you there for that very purpose, to show the love of God. And that will not only bless them, it'll bless you, because you'll be encouraged in your faith. The more you see God answering prayer, the more encouraging it is as you realize that God cares about everything that happens in your life. 